Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. All right, welcome again to the Defender Bible Study. This is Rick Morton, Lifeline's Vice President of Engagement. And we're continuing our study this week in the book of Ezekiel. We're in Ezekiel chapter 45. Uh, today we're going to be talking about um, the, the temple uh, again and talking about the division of the land and the role of uh, the priest in, in, the, um, in the construction of and in the operating of Ezekiel's temple. So um, as we jump in, I, I want to be really honest and say that, uh, that this is one of those really difficult passages that I think we struggle to know the full meaning of, and there are uh, a lot of scholars that disagree about what Ezekiel was actually talking about here in kind of chapter 40 through, uh, through the end of the book. And, and so we're going to take our best effort today at um, discerning a few of the things that we can pull out that we can certainly agree on. Uh, there are some who look at uh, the latter part of Ezekiel and say that this is a foretelling of future events that are going to happen as a part of the millennial kingdom of Jesus. There are others that think that this is uh, merely symbolic and it's allegory and is to be interpreted that way. Um, some say that it's that it's more of really an idealized picture of um, what God had for Israel if they had been obedient and and it's kind of that possible future that they never attained. Um, I, I do really think that this points to uh, events that are yet to come and I think events that are um, that are fairly specific and and the reason I believe that even though we can't necessarily target a time and and, and we certainly can't uh, interpret what those are. Ezekiel uses um, so much specific language about measurements and uh, and 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 goes into such great detail about the temple and about the land around it that I think it it, it is speaking of a a real thing at a real time uh, among a real people and. I think that it looks forward to, um, in some sense, that uh, that point after Jesus has returned and has established His kingdom. And so we're gonna we're gonna kind of jump in and and go through the chapter. I'm not gonna read um, all of the sections, but there will be some that I'll read along the way. So if we begin in verse one, um, it it talks about the the land that was apportioned uh, for the Levites, and it says, "Moreover, when you divide the land." Uh, by lot into inheritance, you shall set apart of the district apart a district for the Lord, a holy section of the land. Its length shall be twenty five thousand cubits, and its width shall be ten thousand. It shall be holy throughout all its territory, all around. Uh, there shall be a square plot for the sanctuary, five hundred by five hundred rods, with fifty cubits around it for an open space. So this is the district you shall measure: twenty five thousand cubits long and ten thousand wide, and it shall be in the sanctuary, the most holy place. It shall be a holy section of the land belonging to the priests, the ministers of the sanctuary, who come near to minister to the Lord. It shall be a place for their houses and a holy place for their sanctuary. An area 25,000 cubits long and 10,000 wide shall belong to the Levites, the ministers of the temple, and they shall have 20 chambers as a possession. And the first thing I think that we see here that's important is it, it 
calls upon Israel and it says, "You shall set apart a district for uh, for the Lord." Um, that that there there this indicates there's going to be a real distribution of land among the people, and part of that distribution of land is that not only are all the tribes of Israel uh, or the tribes of Israel going to be given. Um, places and they're going to be given sections of the land um, but there's going to be this holy section of the land that's set apart for God um, and this is this is a command to Israel that they're to set apart um, the land and so in, in a sense or essentially God is inviting Israel to set apart the land um, and to worship him through their obedience and through their trust in him they they trust that this land that God has told uh, them to set aside that God's going to provide for them, um, and they're they're not going to need that in order to to raise crops or in order to um, you know or defend themselves or any other reason. And so they're they are declaring their allegiance to God, um, and 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 so God is giving uh, His people the privilege of being able to participate. Um, and and he and and I think that you know we can look at that even in our own lives and realize um, that that God gives us the blessing of obedience that that when we're called upon to live a holy life and to live set apart and to be distinct and different that that call to holiness is is a call to participate with God it's a call to to be like Him and to honor Him because because we're being like him. And so the, the people of Israel be, were being called out um, to that. Um, it, it says in the center of all this, there'll be a square plot for the sanctuary. And so, um, you know, this idea that in the holy city that's being set apart for God, that's right in the middle of the nation, and it's in the midst of all of the lands that are being divided up and given to the various tribes and given to the people, that right in the very midst of the people of God, God is going to dwell and they're going to set aside kind of this most central piece um, for God to be in their midst. And so, um, it, this this really you know signifies the fact that that this is going to be a time and it's going to be a condition where 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 the way that the people's hearts should be shaped is going to even um, it's even going to be played out in in the way that their nation is constructed and in the way the map lays out um, that that they are setting aside a place for God in their midst. Um, then we see this this role of priests that um, that that. The, the priest and, and also the Levites were going to be given plots of land um, that that they could could live and dwell and raise crops and, and do the things that um, that they needed to do to live and that they're being drawn to to be right there at the temple and, and right adjacent to the temple um, in this land that that makes it very convenient for them to minister to the temple. Um, we know that Ezekiel was pointing to a future because because we know elsewhere uh, in the Old Testament that the priests um, and the Levites were, were scattered among the nation um, and the, and they were kind of out where the people were. Well, this is a this is a noteworthy thing because this is saying like there's going to be a point when when as Jesus establishes his kingdom as God as God reigns on earth that 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 the priests are going to be in in the place that's focused upon God because the nation is going to. Be be a nation that's going to be focused uh, upon God. 
Uh, then we go down to verse 6, and it says, The portion for the whole house of Israel you shall appoint as the property of the city, an area of 5,000 cubits wide and 25,000 long, adjacent to the district of the holy section. It shall belong to the whole house of Israel. In other words, that like right next to this, this holy place where, where God is going to dwell, there's going to be this area that belongs to all of Israel. So one tribe is not closer than another tribe to God, but all of them are have... have have an equal access to God, um, and that all people have um, have God as their Father and God as their Lord, and and that and that it's going to belong to the whole house. Then we see this this figure, the priest. It says the priest shall have a section on one side or the other of the holy district and the city's property, and bordering bordering on the holy district and the city's property, extending westward on the west side and eastward on the east side. And the length shall be side by side with one another of the tribal portions from the west border to the east border. The land shall be his possession in Israel, and my princes shall no more oppress my people, but they shall give the rest of the land um, to the house of Israel according to their tribes. Now. There's controversy among scholars about who this priest is. I really believe that this priest is Jesus. Um, there are others that would say, no, this is, this is an earthly priest, and, and this is someone that's in the line of David. There are, there's a lot of commentary about who this, who this will be. I think that this is, this is signifying, and this is talking about Jesus when he establishes his reign. He's going to be the right priest. He's going to be the good priest. He's going to be the priest that doesn't oppress the people, but he's the he's priest. He's the prince who who has come to deliver the people, that he has delivered the people, and he ultimately um, has has won the right to rule and reign. And uh and and as we you know we we talk about this, it he this call is that that the princes of Israel, um, like they were caught up in their sin and they were caught up in their privileged position and their influence. And we see so many times that that the king, um, the kings of Israel, um, disregarded God and lived for themselves. And um, you know as in First Kings twenty one, where Ahab confiscated the vineyard of Naboth, and that's that's just one example of like time after time after time when 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 the common people were deprived of their rightful possessions and and they were they were they were held down and they were oppressed under the reign of of a of an unrighteous king but 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 this prince is the righteous king um, this is the the benevolent reign of the messiah and and this is what what israel you know was created for and ultimately what we've all been created for which is to live under the rule and reign of jesus and and so as we talk about this prince and talk about his role ultimately that's that's um, that's a role that i believe is is pointing to um, kind of the reign of Jesus on, uh, on, on the new earth. Um, then verse 9 through 12, it says, Thus says the Lord, Enough, O princes of Israel, remove violence and plundering, execute justice and righteousness, and stop dispossessing my people, says the Lord God. You shall have honest scales, an honest ephah, and an honest bath. The ephah and the bath shall be of the same measure, so that the bath contains one-tenth of a homer, and the ephah one-tenth of a homer. Their measure shall be according to the homer. The shekel shall be 20 garas. The 20 shekels, 25 shekels, and 15 shekels shall be your minya. 
in, in other words, he, he's saying here, first of all, there's a call to, to the current kings, to the current leaders of Israel to, to give up their wicked ways, to stop oppressing the people, to execute justice, to reflect the justice of God in, into uh, the society. But, but there's also this promise that there's this prince coming, and he's not going to be like the other earthly princes, that, and, and, that, and that he's going to establish a kingdom where, where measures are going to be right, where, where the scales aren't going to be weighted, where no one's going to be putting their thumb on the scale in order to take more than they're supposed to have because that was the pattern of earthly kings. I think right now as we're in the midst of, if I might editorialize for a second, as we're in the midst of a, of a difficult season after the election, whether you believe that this is, this is a settled thing or something that should still be contested, there is, there is bitterness in our political world around us, um, and, and there's much infighting even in the body of Christ about this. And I think the thing we can take away from this passage is, is that our hope is not in earthly rulers and our hope is not in earthly kingdoms, um, that, that those who rule, um, many times rule unjustly. They enrich themselves. They, they take care of their friends. They, they do things for, um, you know, out of a sense of self-idolatry and out of a sense of self-preservation. And, and very, you know, very much we see the, the evidence that it doesn't matter which party um, they belong to, that, that, that many, many leaders are, are drawn away and, and they're, they're lulled into a place of exalting themselves and caring for for themselves and not caring for the people. Um, in this case, we're the, the, we're seeing a direct contrast that says Jesus is the kind of king, and he's the kind of he's the prince here. He's the one that's going to rule, and he's going to execute justice. He's not going to weight the scales in his favor because all worship already belongs to him. He's not going to weight the scales in his favor because, because the earth and all that's in it already belong to him. And so, and so society is going, going to be conducted according to honest scales and according to, and according to, to honest business. And, and the fact is that there'll be harmony um, in verse 13, it says, And this is the offering which you shall offer. You shall give one-sixth of an ephah of a homer of wheat and one-sixth of an ephah of a homer of barley. The ordinance concerning oil, the bath of oil, is one-tenth of a bath from the core. The core is a homer or ten baths, for ten baths are a homer. And one lamb shall be given from a flock of two hundred and the rich pastures of Israel. And these shall be for grain offerings and burnt offerings and peace offerings to make atonement for them, says the Lord God. And all the people shall stand... Uh, all all the people of the land shall give this offering uh, for the prince of Israel, and then it shall be the prince's part to give burnt offerings, grain offerings, and drink offerings at the feast, and, and the new moons, and the Sabbaths, and all and at all appointed seasons to the house of Israel. He shall prepare the sin offering, the grain offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings to make atonement for the house of Israel. So, in other words, the, the people are going to bring um, the fruits of their labor, and they're going to give them, they're going to give a portion of that that God has prescribed in order to, you know, to give to the prince and the prince is going to sacrifice those things and we you know you look at this and you say well how can this be about the millennial kingdom if if we're talking about making sacrifices and if we're talking about um, making atonement and, and here's the thing I think this whole sacrificial system that that we're talking about here is not like the sacrificial system in the Old Testament where it's pointing forward to and talking about when someday in the future the work of Christ will come this is talking about after 
the work of Christ is complete. And this is this is like a memorial. It's like a it's 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 like an honor that 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 we're going to remember, and that and that there's going to be this rhythm of life where sacrifices are going to be made, and and where Jesus is going to reign over that. But the purpose is not to cleanse the people from their sin. The purpose is not to is not to point towards something that's yet to be accomplished. It's a celebration where the people are able to participate in the work that Jesus has done and 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 to celebrate that and to enjoy. You know, one of the great things that we see all the way through the, the unfolding story of the scriptures is the emphasis on remembering, on not forgetting, on celebrating. The number of times that, that the children of Israel were told to stop somewhere and to build an altar and to, you know, to stop and worship um, the things that God had done in that place. You carry that forward and you look at verses 18 through 20. It says, atonement for sins done in ignorance. Thus says the Lord, in the first month of the first day of the month, you shall take a young bull without blemish and cleanse the sanctuary. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering and put it on the doorpost of the temple and the four coast corners of the ledge of the altar and on the gate post of, of the gate of the inner court and you shall do so on the seventh day of the month for everyone who has sinned unintentionally or in ignorance you you shall make atonement for the temple now here again is is this about is this about an atoning sacrifice for sin that the people are committing currently? I don't believe so. I think this is this is about a celebration for that that we have a we have a Christ we have a we have a Messiah who has delivered all of us by faith and and He's delivered us not only from the sin that 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 we've committed and that we're aware of that, that we've committed. He's 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 atoned for every sin, even those that were done in ignorance, even those that we don't even know that that. That, that, that we've done and, and and we don't even realize we should confess that the that the sacrifice of Jesus doesn't just keep us from deliberate sin but the sacrifice of Jesus um, atones for all sin and that that's going to be celebrated it says so shall you do on the seventh month for everyone who has sinned intentionally and un- unintentionally in other words there there is there is this idea that we're going to celebrate but here's something you need to, to know or you need to recognize here is that there's no special day of atonement in all of these sacrifices even as it talks about the Passover offering beginning beginning in verse 21 that the one thing you won't find in all this is you won't find um, a, a day of atonement why because because we don't need to look forward to when the atonement is going to happen we can look back at, at, at when the atonement has happened and and that 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 it's already um, that it's already come and it happened at the cross and so to finish out the chapter um, verses 21 through 25 in the first month on the 14th day of the month you shall observe the Passover a feast of seven days unleavened bread shall be eaten and on that day the prince shall prepare himself and for all the people of the land a bull for a sin offering and on the seven days of the feast he shall prepare a burnt offering for the Lord seven bulls and seven rams without blemish daily for seven days and a kid of the goats daily for a sin offering and he shall prepare a grain offering of one ephah for each bull and one ephah for each ram and together with a hen of oil for each ephah in 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 the seventh month on the fifteenth day of the month at the feast he shall do likewise for seven days according to the sin offering the burnt offering the grain offering and the oil 
Now we see here that the that the Passover is going to be celebrated. Why? Because because ultimately um, God's redemption of Israel from Egypt is is the point of the Passover in the moment, but His greater redemption through the work of Jesus is the bigger point of the Passover. If you've never had the opportunity to be able to um, to take part in a Seder meal and to have someone explain the shadow of Jesus that that's that's a part of the Passover meal and the way the Passover meal points to Jesus, you, you really need to do that. Because it, it's, it, it's amazing and, and remarkable and awe-inspiring when we see the way that God conserved the details and the way the details of the Passover and, and the remembrance that the children of Israel passed down from generation to generation after the Passover, through the Passover feast and, and the Passover meal and its observance, points to the way that Jesus ultimately has caused the Passover for all of us who are in him and that God has passed over our sin because Jesus and his blood have atoned for it and that this isn't an atonement that's purchased by the blood of a lamb uh, that 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 will that's um, only symbolic this is purchased by the lamb the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world um, and so today, I hope, I hope you can be encouraged about the fact that this, this gives us a glimpse into the, 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 the world that is to come and, and the work that um, not only that we know that Jesus has accomplished, but, but the way that God will provide for people and the way that, the way that God will provide for his own worship um, in the millennial kingdom that is to come. God's going to be at the center of it. Jesus is going to be reigning over it. And, and the focus and the attention of that time is going to be, be on celebrating what it is that God has done on behalf of his people um, to the glory of Christ. So today we're, we're praying for Honduras this week, and, and we want to, to make sure that as we, as we pray this week, um, we want to pray for the children that are in the care of DNAF um, through foster families and through institutions in, in the nation of Honduras. There are at least 200,000 children uh, that are in care. That's a lot of children for a very small country. We want to pray that those children are going to, to know Christ as Lord and that they're going to to, to be led to, to know him and to follow him and to value him. We want to pray that the Lord's going to provide for their needs and keep them safe, uh, particularly doing, during COVID, um, and, and pray for the nation of Honduras as they're um, still experiencing a lockdown. Um, we want to pray for DNAF in particular, that they will, um, they will care for children well in the midst of COVID-19, that they'll, um, we want to pray that, that we'll have the opportunity as a ministry to build stronger relationships with those who work for DNAF and, and are part of um, caring for the child welfare system that cares for children in Honduras. We want to pray uh, for DNAF as they figure out how to implement the new adoption law and new policies. We pray that those things will benefit the children of Honduras and, and that, that, that this will lead to an urgency of caring for the children and helping to place them into adoptive families. We want to pray um, for wisdom for the leaders of DNAF that they will create a better, more efficient system that will work in, in the, toward the best interest of children. We want to pray for judges that are making decisions that impact adoption. Pray that they make rulings that are just and that they will choose to do the right thing in a timely manner for children. Um, we, we pray that the speed will be quick 
for those uh, those judicial decrees. Notoriously, they've been slow, and we want to pray that judges will act decisively and well on behalf of children. We want to pray for children that, that have the opportunity to be reunified um, and with their birth families, to be able to be reunified, and for those where, where they cannot be reunified, that they'll properly be declared abandoned so that they can be adopted and, and brought into a family. And we pr- want to pray for the church in Honduras, that the church will, will rise up and the church will, will do uh, the, the work of adopting and fostering and caring for vulnerable families and for vulnerable children. We want to pray for our team on the ground. We want to pray for Carmen and Livio. Um, we want to pray for their wisdom and creativity and for their endurance as, as, they, as they work with DNAF and as they work in the courts weekly to advocate for our families. We want to pray for them to build good relationships um, as they work alongside DNAF and, and they work on behalf of families on their cases. And we want to pray this week for our in-process families. Thank, we want to be thankful to God for their passion and their dedication um, to the country of Honduras, and we want to pray that they will have endurance and patience through the process. We want to pray for our team here uh, in the U.S., for Farah and and for Beth and for Josh and for the way that they lead, and and pray that the Lord will give wisdom and discernment um, to all of our team that are working on behalf of, of orphan and vulnerable children in Honduras and, and that they will, um, they will run the program well and support families well. And so let's pray together. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that you've given us the opportunity to minister in the nation of Honduras. Lord, we pray that, that you will, um, God, you will create the conditions that orphan and vulnerable children will be protected. God, we want to pray that you will rise, raise your church up in, in greater and more effective ways to care for vulnerable children and for vulnerable families in Honduras. God, we want to pray for, for DNAF. We want to pray for the people that are leading in it and that are working in the midst of the child welfare system. We want to pray for their salvation. God, we want to pray that you'll reach them um, with the good news of Jesus. And Lord, we want to pray um, that there will be workers within the system that will give their hearts and lives to Jesus. God, we want to pray for the believers that are already there. Um, Lord, we want to pray that you'll give them courage to walk out their faith and that, Lord, uh, they'll realize that, the, that, that what they're doing is not just a job. It's not just a function of society, but God, ultimately, that they're doing ministry on your behalf and doing work that you've called them to. Um, God, we want to pray for families. We want to pray for families in Honduras that you'll raise up uh, families to care for children. We want to pray for birth families to be strengthened so that they can receive their children back home and that their families can be reunited. God, we want to pray for adoptive families, both coming out of Honduras and, and then those that are coming to Honduras from the outside. God, we want to pray that you'll place children in just the right homes at just the right time and that you'll give the resources to those families. God, we want to thank you for the team that work, for Carmen and Livio and, and, and for all those who, who work diligently in the country. We want to pray for our team here in the, in the U.S., for Farah and Beth and Josh and all those who, who work on behalf of families. And God, we want to pray especially for our adoptive families today. And Lord, we pray that you will sustain them, that you will give them endurance, that you'll give them patience, that you'll give them resource, and that God, you'll give them every good thing that they need in order to pursue the calling that you've placed in their lives. Father, we confess today that we love you and we need you and we stand in need of your help. But God, we also confess that we know that 
that you will provide because you have provided for us in Jesus. And Lord, we can trust the salvation that we have and God, we can trust the place that we have with you as your children because of his work. And so Lord, we thank you today that we that we have the opportunity to be known and to be named among the children of God. Thank you for your adoption in Christ and it is in the powerful, strong name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us on the Defender Bible Study. We will continue our study. Actually, we'll be winding up next week, um, finishing the book of Ezekiel, uh, beginning in verse 46 through the end of the book. And so hope you'll join us there, and, uh, and, and hope you have a great week. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.